Start the week with Unmade. Setting the agenda for the week in media and marketing. Today, the South by Southwest Sydney report card. Was it a pass or fail? Radio Wars. And the verdict on Seven's upfronts. Unmade. It's Monday, October 23. I'm Abe Beauty, and good morning, Tim Burrows. Good morning, Abe. Just for a change, I'm slightly to the east of you rather than slightly to the west of you. I'm in Evandale this morning. Yes, you have a couple of Tasmanian mansions in, in which you live, <laughs> I've, I've been told. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd go that far. Let's, let, let, let's not get into property talk for today, though, because it's intensely boring for everybody. <laughs> exactly. And good morning to Sedja Alzadi. Good morning, Abe. How was your weekend? My weekend was good. Actually, I turned 45 on Friday. I thought, I'm getting old. Oh, my God, you don't look it. Well, thank you very much. So it was a bit of a weekend (laughs) of, uh, yeah, party with family and, yeah, just doing, yeah, hanging out with family and and celebrating or commiserating uh, the 45 years that have gone. But it was a good weekend. But let's start this morning. Lots to talk about with South by Southwest. Both of you, Tim and Sedgil, were both there. How was it? Do you know what? It was, and I, I, I... I say this having thought about it and um, with various qualifications and caveats, good. Um, It found its centre of gravity, I suppose, Um, the the first couple of days because it was was a week-long event and it was big. It was kind of centred around Darling Harbour in Sydney but across various other venues and sort of straddling the media and marketing world, but also technology and music. And um, they pulled it off. You know, it wasn't it wasn't perfect, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But it was enough that you, you, you just feel that it's going to be able to come back and um, it's going to find its place on the, in the landscape. Sergio, what were your thoughts? I think I would describe it as moderately shambolic. <laughs> Look, my project for last week was going around and asking all manner of attendees what their experience was like, what they thought was good, what they thought should be improved. And funnily enough, the very last person I interviewed said that the event was a bit like a Chinese menu. There were just way too many options and everything was sort of on at the same time. And there just wasn't adequate time to get between venues or to go from one talk to the next because there wasn't really an interval space between them um I'm always I think I'm always going to have this perspective when it comes to like conferences and events but yeah a lot of the talks a lot of the panels again it's just like a PR exercise for the panelists and it's not necessarily imbued with this sense of like authenticity and meaningful insights aside from one panel that I went to which we'll touch on later but overall like what I heard from people who had been to the Austin event was that it had much more of a like really strong, buzzing, uh, sort of collective atmosphere, whereas this one felt a bit sterile and a bit conferency. Like a lot of people said it just feels like a corporate conference. It doesn't actually feel like South by Southwest in its intended form. I guess it was the first year, so probably a lot of a lot of teething problems. But do you guys think it's going to change the conference scene locally? Yeah, I think it already has and will more so. Um you, you you remember, I think we probably talked about it at the time, the 
the the AFR published a story suggesting that South by Southwest had hurt Mumbrella's revenues because Mumbrella obviously does Mumbrella 360. Um, now I'm not sure how much this time around that that was a fair observation or not, but going forward, it feels like it's now established its place and shown the sponsors that came on board what it can do it will get bigger. So it is going to become this sort of black hole sucking in um, all available light, or in this case, kind of uh, activations and sponsorships. So, so you know, we, we saw the beginnings of that this time around. Um, uh, Amazon did quite a lot. Like they, they, they kind of took over the, 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 the local branch of um, Fratelli's, the uh, the kind of the, the Italian restaurant in um, Darling Harbour, and reshaped it as Streamville. This sort of experience, you know, where where you kind of you were given you were given tokens as you walked in, and then you 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 were invited to walk around and swap your tokens for you know mostly silly little things like you know some scoops of ice cream or whatever that's not silly tim that is serious serious (laughs) bounty right there well i suppose i'm I'm just bitter because i should have i should have held out for the cookies and cream which came around (laughs) the corner and it it seemed greedy to go twice but then you you know and they sort of walked people around and they spun wheels and got the opportunity to win you know t-shirts or amazon echoes or whatever um the and, and funnily enough one of the things that did, did strike me about that and it probably says a little bit about a couple of the activations because i'd say the same thing about the snapchat one as well because they they had a presence was it wasn't always clear whether this was consumer facing or industry facing so for instance the amazon one felt very much like it was almost aimed at members of the public who happened to be walking past rather than people from the industry who might be wanting to buy ads through amazon ads or wanting to understand more about their how they operate in retail media and those things so so there was there was a little bit of that, I suppose. But to go back to your um, your original question, um, yeah, I they, they they had to start big to have an impact, and they did start big. So yeah, I think I think things do change from here on in when it comes to industry conferences. So Tim and, and Sedja, I'd like to ask you both: what was your your most interesting topic or speaker? And why? If you could pick one, what's the most interesting topical speaker and why? For me, it definitely had to be the session that was titled, Is Doing Good Any Good? I think it was. It was moderated by Catherine King, who's Chief Strategy Officer of Leo Burnett. And panel was excellent. They had Carl Rhodes, who is the author of Woke Capitalism. And I found this panel really refreshing because the subject in the press is typically either you know, only discussed by sort of right-wing culture warriors and television hosts or, you know, these really like phony sort of corporate social responsibility showmans who cook up some new uh, sort of purpose in their press department or their HR department and then somehow act like, you know, they're this altruistic uh, organisation, you know, similar to the likes of Amnesty International just because they've like put out a press release talking about how gender inequality is bad we should have more female CEOs. What I really appreciated about it was that it was just real. 
it was authentic, it was substantiated by really, really interesting research. They didn't hold back. And it was actually like a really, really incisive analysis of the way that corporations, you know, sort of assign themselves as these moral messiahs and uh, sort of shift culture through the social causes that they support. And just also the hollowness of it all, you know, the hollowness of CSR and the fact that for a lot of businesses, a lot of companies, indeed, it's absolutely marketing, you know, like Qantas, the two aren't necessarily related, but it was Carl who pointed out that. Qantas was this big supporter and champion of sort of LGBT rights, but, you know, and a lot of that was sort of championed by the CEO of the time, Alan Joyce. But it was also Alan Joyce who took home extraordinary pay packets, extraordinary bonuses, while absolutely ripping off Australians. And, you know, they're in trouble with ACCC now for charging for flights that were already cancelled. So it just goes to show, you know, a lot of businesses will try to portray themselves as these uh arbiters of morality and social purpose. So to ask you to summarise, is doing good any good? I don't think so. No, I think that businesses should just stay quiet on these issues unless they're actually really doing tangible things to support communities and particular causes. Tim? Yeah, I I think if I had to choose one, I would probably nominate David Droger. Um I think it's probably fair to say that he's Australia's most successful advertising export. He, you know, he, he he's perhaps certainly many people believe him to be the most um, uh, awarded advertising creative of all time. He founded Droga Five in uh, in New York, and then. Um, later became a part of um, Accenture or now Accenture Song. So that puts him in the same family as the monkeys in Australia. And, um, and his was, it, it was mo- at his most interesting when he was talking about the general advertising scene. So for me, the single observation and, and the, the, the frame he'd been asked to speak about was the rise of AI and its impact, uh, of which an awful lot of sessions were. Um, and that's understandable because that that is the defining uh, factor of this, you know, really of this year. But I thought where he had most to add, actually, was just talking about the state of advertising. And, you know, one of the kind of, well, a couple of memorable things, one of which was, the admission that when you turn on the television, most advertising is garbage, to use his words. So, you know, we can't pretend that all advertising is great. But also his verdict that um, the thing that um, uh, will help the advertising industry survive is stuff that takes things away from the mediocre middle. And that's probably what AI will drive us towards. I love the line, advertising should either be straight or great, either straight or to the point or awesomely creative. Those working in the mediocre middle will be the ones swept away by AI. I read that quote and absolutely resonated with me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so he was definitely at his best with that stuff. Um, And um, Sergio, I think you were, if I remember rightly, you were sitting next to me in the room for um, that session. I was, and I do have a bit of a bone to pick with that session because it it was moderated or, you know, Droga was being interviewed by Sunita Gloucester, who was a grill panellist, um, is an executive director of a few boards and so on. And it just reinforced to me why I really think that these sorts of things should only be hosted by 
journalists who are really well versed in the art of interviewing. Oh, fighting talk. No, I, I no, it's true because you know I compare it to the interview that Edwina Bartholomew did with Howcroft. Russell Howcroft at Advertising Week and the cadence and the questioning and the sort of opening, it, it was just a far better quality, the interview. And I'm not trying to bash Snead or anything. I just think that journalists are sort of more wow. well-placed. You are a little bit. Well, that's the thing is, right, she made a big sort of deal of Droga being this prodigy, like Australia's greatest creative export of all time. But then simultaneously asking him how if, you know, you were 30 years old today, how would you contend with the rise of AI and, you know, it would threaten your job? What would you do? What advice do you give to people in that situation? And it's like, you you can't say that this guy bucks all of the typical performance standards of creatives of that age uh, and then ask how he'd contend with it. You know, he's a freak of nature. At least that's what everybody seems to think. He's wildly successful, wildly brilliant. So I think it's a bit difficult to ask someone in that position who sort of revered that much in advertising circles, what he would do if he was the average 30-year-old creative because he's not average and he never has been. He, I think it was um, Esther Clarehan who was in the audience who was called out and, you know, she asked, how did you know that he was so brilliant from such a young age? So, yes, yeah, yeah. And so I just think you can't really ask David Droger that sort of thing because sure, he'll say some interesting things and some insights, but it's just not the right thing to be asking him. He's not in that position. He's not the average creative. So you can't ask him what the average creative would do. Hey, look, and I, and I, and I suppose I should put the, 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 the counterpoint. If I had to try and work out the sort of people that um, South by Southwest was putting on the stage as interviewers, it, it, did seem for the most part, this is across a number of sessions, they they were going for people who were, were, were more, they were of a profile, either as a business profile or they were a sort of entertainment person like Julia Zamiro did Charlie Brooker, for instance. Overall, that's wrong. It's not just a Joker panel. Overall, I think that's a really terribly wrong approach. I really think they should have people who are practitioners of interviewing up on that stage in general. Yes. I suppose that's the question is, do you, and look, that's a, Great argument, because do you go for someone who's a practitioner of interviewing? And in fairness to Julia Zamiro, she is. But um, Or do you go for someone who's a practitioner of the industry? Interviewing. It needs to be worthwhile and meaningful for the audience. Next, seven in 2024. Unmade. One of the events under the South by Southwest banner was Seven's Upfronts. You were both there. What did you take away from Seven's Upfronts last week, Tim? Um, no surprises, and that's not essentially a criticism. You know, one of the, one of the things about running an established player is your customers actually do quite like consistency. So that was the overall message, I suppose, from Seven, you know, consistency, consistent schedule, um, lots of returning shows, not many brand new formats, certainly not in big slots, um, not not much in the way of new drama at all, for instance. Um, so it was it was one of those ones where it was much more about really trying to give that image, uh, that message that when it comes to uh, audience in all people, 
Seven's number one. This is in broadcast. Uh, increased emphasis on the streaming side of things. So Seven Plus, you know, that that had a bigger profile than ever before, and that's important. Um, and then the the one thing that is just hard to tell from when you're seeing the presentation until you can kind of maybe later have the opportunity to talk to some executives and understand it, they they announced this thing called Phoenix, which seemed to be another rebooting of Code 7, which was effectively their TV planning and buying tool. Um, so the argument that being that when it finally launches next year and Code 7 has been through a whole bunch of iterations, it will make planning and buying easier. And one of the lines was, make, make goods. Those are the things that... Um, networks have to give when they don't hit the audience they promised it will make make goods a thing of the past so um so yeah it was solid it was a good show um uh i suppose it was everything i expected really but not much more sedja your take on it look i'm fairly new to upfronts in general and what i find intriguing so far is you know, the majority of the room, or at least half of the room, is media buyers. And my initial assumption would be, what's the point of schmoozing them and putting on this bombastic show and, you know, flowing champagne and, you know, relying on all these sort of um, almost soft diplomacy (laughs) efforts uh, when largely they are or should be making these decisions of where to allocate media spend on a really pragmatic, rational basis. So what's the purpose of the party? I think we're all humans and you can't beat relationship. I think that's what it comes down to, growing relationship. But it was an interesting comment you made in the I think it was a TV black box special edition podcast released on the weekend that's in your feed. And I, I hope you didn't feel we'd betrayed you, Abe, by having somebody else uh, produce one of our podcasts. I did see a podcast. I thought, <laughs> I thought, Hang a second. I didn't know about that. That was It was really good, actually. But one comment you made said you was on the 7 Plus app. There were a lot of promos or repetitive ads. My thought was probably different to what um, you both were saying about targeting. Um, I thought, I, I reckon their sales are fairly low on advertising video on demand AVOD platforms. And so really they're only probably free or bonus spots to some of the key advertisers that are getting free spots. But I agree. Why not add more to that so you're not seeing the same ad or same promo time after time? It would be yeah, a much my better was, look for the platform. When I watched I Seven Plus, like when I watched Devious Maids, which is a fabulous show by the way, but you're not really the demographic. Um, all of the ad breaks were for other content on Seven Plus. And then I think Tim made the point on Black Box that, you know, the house ads sort of keep you returning to other content. But I agree, eh? But it's pretty repetitive. I think it's because they have nothing else to play, so they'll play promos, to be honest. And I think the other point about that is what advertisers want is the ability to properly cap the number of times somebody sees the same message as well because they don't want to pay to have the same person watch the same message 15 times. Some of that is a technology issue. It's getting better for frequency capping. But um, for for most of the networks at the moment, that's still a bit of an unreliable process. Next, the battle heats up for Southern Cross Austereo. It was a huge week in the audio industry last week with ARN Media launching a takeover bid for Southern Cross Austereo. 
There's more on that in the AFR this morning, Tim. They're reporting that SCA is seeking other bidders. This is huge. Yeah, this is the headline. Southern Cross courts wider interest as board reviews ARN deal. So the the intro suggests that SCA executives are trying to, and the, the phrase used in the AFR is, drum up wider interest to counter a takeover bid from radio rival ARN Media and private equity firm Anchorage Capital Partners, which was lobbed last week. Now, hey, I guess the secret of any kind of transaction when you're selling something is competitive tension. So you can understand why they're doing that, but this takes things into a new phase. If Southern Cross Stereo really is seeking suitors to defend it from ARN, then it means the SCA board accepts that the company is on the block and you know, let's let's remember how quickly this has all changed. A week ago, we didn't even know this bid existed. So what is ARN? I mean, I've got two questions. Who could another buyer be in the Australian landscape? Interested in your thoughts on that. But what is ARN proposing? Gosh, there's a lot there. Um, two thoughts on who could the another buyer be, or two broad areas. One would be somebody else in private equity. Um, because there's, there's always this argument when organizations like the radio networks, arguably even like the TV networks, are on the ASX and their share price is low. There's always the argument that private equity could come in, take them private, you know, boost profits a little bit, and then float them later on a higher multiple. So that would be one thought, would be find you know another equivalent to anchorage but but somebody who you know might be more sympathetic to the the sca board or who could promise southern cross stereo shareholders more money so that would be one thought or the other one would be an existing media player who would like radio within their uh within their portfolio of 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 which you know the the obvious one has always seemed to be at well, I, 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 yes, seven's definitely a possibility. Although, actually, funnily enough, let's come back to seven in a second. So I was going to say outdoor because it does feel like out of home and radio sits quite well together. For me, the problem with seven is seven's share price is so low. I don't know how it would get a deal done. Um, it would need to probably raise equity. And if you look at the valuation of seven, it's last time I looked, I think it was um, only around about um, half a billion dollars or anything. Maybe while we're chatting, um, uh, said you can look up on the unmade index for Friday and find out what the what the closing price of seven was. But it, one of the things was it, 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 will be, it will be hard for Seven to actually fund a bid at the moment because it is kind of undervalued. Um, so I, 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 I think that would be the one that would most surprise me if they got something across the line in a way that Seven's shareholders would tolerate. What's the, uh, what's the verdict, Sergio? I can see you've been tapping away. $450 million. So if ARN did acquire SCA, what would that mean for the radio market? Yeah, so the, the, the proposal is fairly complicated. Effectively, you could end up with three organisations. You end up with a new version of ARN Media that contains the KISS network and what used to be Southern Cross Stereo's Triple M network. So their argument there is they've got this sort of 
premium female focused network and a premium male focused network. Um, that's organization number one. Organization number two, which would be, be end up being owned by Anchorage, would be what's currently the HIT network. So that's currently owned by SCA. So that's Fox in Melbourne or Today FM in Sydney and so on, along with the gold network which includes um wsfm in uh in sydney and gold in melbourne um so both you know both high rating networks in their own right but more differentiation um which must be a bit hurtful for people working at gold at the moment that their current owner doesn't love them anymore and wants to get rid of them and you were saying there would be three organizations of the third yeah, so the third would be a streaming-led organization. And this is the, the piece that, for me, has been underplayed so far in a lot of the coverage. This is about the future. There will be a day when all radio is listened to by streaming, you know, whether it's even in the car or through podcasts or live streaming. And there are no ownership laws media ownership laws when it comes to streaming so this would hold the assets of all of the radio networks when it came to streaming so one day that would be the most valuable organization now whether this is then powered by the technology behind SCA's listener or the technology that uh, ARN licensing is licenses in from iHeartMedia in the US would would remain to be seen. But for me, this, that's the most intriguing part of this deal. Uh, I've got a question. Regional media, there is actually a lot of regional assets owned by SCA, quite big actually, and Brian Gallagher, when he was at the company, uh, championed Boomtown, so real sales sales, uh, sales drive in the regions. What is going to happen with SCA's regional assets? And of course, ARN then owned the, what was Grant Broadcaster. So they have a big regional asset as well. What was going to happen with that, do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I think definitely part of the plan would be quite a lot of those SCA assets coming across to the ARN network, which if um, ARN kind of does push forward with this plan to create a major live national brand with Carl Sanderlands and Jackie Henderson, then you could see how having further regional reach would be would be interesting in that. Um, and actually, you, you, you touch on something else with the region. I, I, um, I did spot across the room, by the way, at South by Southwest, um, Brian Gallagher at one point. He was, um, he, he was in, in the courtyard at the WPP session when there was a, a session going on on, on, uh, on trust in media and PR. Uh, and I, we kind of waved across the room, but it was in the middle of a session, so we didn't get to say hello. Um, but yeah, the other thing about SCA as well is they own the regional TV networks, which are mostly affiliated with 10. So I think the plan for uh, Anchorage there would be for them to then agree a price to sell that on to Paramount and finally let Paramount close the loop um, on owning their regional assets as well for for however long the regional transmitters stay on. Um, at the moment, the if I remember rightly, the Paramount um, uh, SCA affiliate deal 410 runs through to the end of this year. So there's only a couple more months to run on that one. Well, that is it for today. We'd love to hear what you think at letters at unmade. 
unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. We'll be back tomorrow with Choose Data, taking a look at what attendees really thought of their first ever South by Southwest Sydney. Don't forget, if you want to support Unmade, you can become a paying member. Go to unmade.media to find out how. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.